Before we get into today's episode, I've created a short questionnaire that will help me get to know you better. Those that fill out the questionnaire will get entered into a draw to win an Amazon gift card. So there's a link in the description for the episode. Click it, fill out the questionnaire, and I look forward to hearing your feedback. Now for today's episode. This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show and today I'm joined with Ahmed Ismail who essentially is the CEO and founder of Fluid which is using AI to solve the crypto and NFT space so we're talking AI and digital assets today so Ahmed thanks for joining me. Thank you Michael. So talk to me about what the biggest problem is in crypto and NFTs and why choose AI to solve that? It sounds like we're just choosing technology to solve technology problems. Yeah, you are using technology to solve a technology problem. That's very true. Um, look, so one of the biggest problems in crypto and is that liquidity is highly fragmented. Um, and what does that mean? You know, unlike the equity space, unlike the FX space, uh, unlike the bond space, you can buy and sell if you're an institution. Um, you know, go in and out positions in in uh, in equities or in bonds and FX quite easily. In crypto, it's not that easy, and liquidity is held in fragmented. It's held in few silos. It's very siloed. <clears throat> and why is that a problem? Well, in markets such as the ones we witnessed in 2022, uh, when Luna crashed, for instance, or FTX crashed, uh, we saw massive amounts of volatility right? It's an age-old problem in crypto. Um, there have been many liquidity aggregators out there, but none have really solved the problem. And um, that's what we're doing right now. Um, <clears throat> what does, so um, what is a liquidity aggregator? And ag a liquidity aggregator is uh, just like in in the flight space, if you're buying a, a flight uh, off Skyscanner, Skyscanner is a is an aggregator. So it goes to all the different airlines and websites and gets you the cheapest deal. So it's a kind of marketplace of marketplaces, right? And that's what we are. So um, we do this on a retail level, we do this on an institutional level, and we even do this on an exchange level. Um, and <clears throat> there are other liquidity aggregators out there. Um, but what we do is we aggregate both centralized and decentralized exchanges um, and aggregate them into one place. So that means that if you want to trade, you don't have to open an account in 30 different exchanges. You can just open an account on Fluid and um, Fluid has what's called a smart order router, which will route those uh, transactions uh, onto all the different uh, sexes and dexes to get you the best deal. Um, exchange of exchanges. Uh, now, why do we use AI? Well, because liquidity is highly fragmented, um, there's a huge amount of latency, right? And execution risk. Um, um, and what happens is that if there's what we calculated, even on Bitcoin, uh, if there is um, an <clears throat> latency, not just comes from the blockchain, but settlement time, network latency, all of this stuff. Um, and half a second of latency translates to around 2% of gap risk. 
right? Wow. Okay. Yeah. If so you're taking a, if you're buying Bitcoin and you think you're buying it at twenty eight five hundred, you're taking a two percent punt either way. And so exchange desks and exchanges know this uh, that have no liquidity. OTC desks know this that have no liquidity. Brokers know this that have no liquidity. Middlemen, bots, whatever, they all know this. So they all add their little spreads, and that's why buying crypto is so expensive. The fees. Exclude blockchain fees, exclude uh, fees uh, coming from, you know, gas fees, all of this stuff. I'm talking about buying off-chain cryptocurrency, you know, as a retail user or as an institution, you pay a huge amount of fees to middlemen. And the reason is this. So we create, use, you know, we create, we got together with, um, uh, you know, we raised some money early last year, about $10 million. We have uh invested a lot of that money in r d uh research and development with two universities one is imperial college in london another is the blacking institute of technology in sweden we have about 15 postdoc researchers who uh, are working with us full-time <clears throat> to build um models that predict cryptocurrency prices um into the future and so far uh the 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 results have been you know scarily good um <laughs> uh, that we are able with our technology to predict um uh cryptocurrency prices 30 seconds in advance with up to 99.95 percent accuracy there's probably for a us, lot what we what we use this for is that we use this for our smart order router, we use this to cut through the latency. So you can basically buy a cryptocurrency and have instant settlement, instant price execute, an instant best execution. You don't get um, you don't get zapped by anyone trying to play the market. What you buy is what you get, and you always assume to get the best price. Now, the the, the theory of this is that uh, over time, what that will do is that will um, that will uh, uh, effectively make, you know, if you get the, the better execution you have, the more flow you will get, and the more trading you get, the better liquidity you get, and it helps the ecosystem. And so that's what our aim uh, is. You know, this is what we're here for. So I'm imagining that the people that trade actually get more of the money, like once everyone takes their cut and all that kind of thing with the middlemen and systems and <clears throat> banks, if it involves banks, that sort of thing. Not At the that. end of the day, someone yeah. that trades would get more of the money because of the reduction in the latency and the fact that you're able to predict a higher amount as well, let's say. Yeah. It, it all is beneficial. It's very beneficial, exactly. So... Um, using prediction models. Uh, we don't trade on these models. We don't want to trade on these models. Um, but we're able to use AI um, to do that. Now, why do we use AI? Um, we've been working with AI for, for a number of years now, for, for over two and a half years. Um, and one thing about AI and cryptocurrency markets is that crypto markets are notoriously um are very very under um are very complex they're not linear 
Now in equities, what you do is that you get these people who are able to predict using candlestick charts and all of this stuff to predict cryptocurrency or equities prices um, and uh, with what's called technical analysis, using statistical analysis to be able to make a prediction. Um, in equities, it's pretty high. It's probably 80, 90% correct, right? Um, in cryptocurrency is because it's so volatile, it's probably around 50 to 60%, right? Now, um, as we all know, cryptocurrency prices, because of their, their lack of liquidity and because of other external factors are like this and have no logic. They're almost random. Um, we think they're random, but they're not. And this is where AI comes in because AI can take very unstructured, complex, non-linear data and find hidden patterns. Now, what we do is that we take things like, <clears throat> um, uh, we take things like uh, um, sentiment analysis. So we plug our models into Discord, into Twitter, right? And we find hidden patterns in certain hashtags that come up that you and I don't see, but AI sees and can predict the price of Bitcoin will go up 2% as a result. So we take all these different, what are called features, we put them into one. Um, we also look at like the price of gold, CPI indices, the price of equities, price of futures, options, derivatives markets. And we put that all into one big algorithm to give you a prediction of what's going to happen in 30 seconds time with a very, very high percent uh, accuracy. That sounds like way too much for one person to do. Is that why you let AI do it? Because you have like a team of people that still can't seem to get it right because they're human and there's a lot of data to process, but you put it into a, of course, there's, a computer there's and they do of it. Because we don't just do this for, for one crypto pair or one exchange. We do this for pretty much all the different, all the top centralized exchanges, all the top currency pairs. And so we are able to predict any order book. Um, obviously, there are certain order books we don't have a lot of data, um, and so the accuracy is not as good. So when the depth is not as deep, you know your accuracy isn't as good. But for for the big uh, the big um, sexes and dexes, we are able to do that with a very high degree of conviction and accuracy. A lot of the big investors often talk about risk reduction. So a lot of people tend to think that there's a lot of risk involved in investing, people that aren't necessarily experienced in it, and that every of the big investors will say that there's a lot that goes into reducing risk, but that's what they spend a lot of their time on so that it's not actually risky at all. I'm picturing the AI models that you have and the systems and algorithms, they make it possible to do that with cryptocurrency and digital assets as well. Am I right in saying that? That's correct. Yeah. So um, AI def, def, basically what AI does, it, it takes the, it finds hidden patterns in things that you and I find tedious and find and have to use our own brain power to find them in. And that's what AI does really, really well. So AI can be used to identify patterns that human beings don't necessarily find 
So for things like risk management, I mean, risk management is a very, very big topic. We can talk about it to a blue in the face, but AI has certain, certainly many applications within the risk space. Uh, for us, we look at it for latency, but you can, I know plenty of um, like KYC providers uh, who use AI for facial recognition. So when you sometimes um, uh, sign on, doing your KYC to a lot of these exchanges, you put a picture of your passport. And I was just doing it for my parents uh, today. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And you do a selfie, right? And so what it does is that it ha has a matching algorithm and sees the picture on your government ID. Is it really you, right? Is, um, so th there are a lot of, lot of um, applications that the AI has for risk. Uh, reduction, absolutely. But for us, we use it mainly for to solve this big, big, big problem. What do we, you find actually happens then if there's so many different, I guess you could call them corporations or organizations that seem to have a bit of a monopoly in the financial market, whether it's traditional or otherwise, there's becoming this sense of it's not centralized, but and the but is some people have more knowledge, information, experience to be able to essentially do more predictions and benefit more than others. Not necessarily centralized, but there are some big players out there that are able to do more than, should we say, little people. What does AI do to that? Does it flatten the curve? Does it give everybody an equal chance? Does it build people up? Like what are some of the effects of this? AI, so I think AI is just a tool. You know, I always say 150 years ago, 200 years ago, when people went to war, they'd have muskets, right? Now they have, you know, high, you know, high-end um, uh, machine guns, right? Um, AI is just a tool. And um, one of the big, one of the big, um, you know, more philanthropic discussion points that are very current in the media, you might have seen um, Elon Musk and a few other big um, players. I think the CEO of of, um, of Apple was one of them as well. Signed uh, a big open letter for humanity for humanity's sake, <clears throat> to pause um, AI, um, to pause the, you know, pause the R&D of AI. Now, AI, if it's used responsibly and it's not self-generating, is pretty cool. You can do it to uh, help um, Make sure your 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 um, uh, your liquidity is uh, less fragmented, which is what we do. But of, of course, there are many very interesting, um, uh, you know, very very interesting use cases. Which, uh, if AI becomes God, right? And um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. one of the one of the you know one of the big uh, conundrums of AI is that if AI is bigger than the human brain and it's self generating. What can that do to humanity? Um, you know, I'm 
I'm reading a very good book um, by uh, a guy called Henry Kissinger. Um, and for those who, who don't know who he is, uh, Henry Kissinger is probably, you know, he's an American uh, politician, quite controversial, um, was uh, involved in the, um, you know, in, in supporting, well, in, in supporting many of the uh, questionable um, uh, actions of, of the US government. Uh, but he wrote a very interesting book that he put out recently called The Age of AI. Um, and he wrote it with um, Eric Schmidt, who's the co-founder of Google. Um, and in that book, and I really strongly recommend anyone who's interested in the whole human paradoxes of AI to, to read it. Um, he's, using, he's talking about AI use in, um, first of all, in chess. So we used AI to build a machine that can play and be, you know, the world's best chess players, including Gary Kasparov, who was at the time one of the biggest chess players around. So it learned the moves, it created uh, strategies that humans would not have thought of. Um, and one of those strategies, I don't know if are you into chess or if if I can. Yeah, yeah chess is um, something that I, I know a little bit about personally. Yeah. So for those who do know chess, one of the, the most controversial or, or the hardest decisions to, to have is to sacrifice the most powerful player on your uh, chessboard, who's the queen, right? You never under any circumstances do that to win a game because your queen can go in any direction uh, uh, and is probably the most powerful piece on the board. Now, in many of the strategies that this uh chess computer um uh created was uh sacrificing your queen at the very beginning of right right and so no normal human would do that now you can translate this um this paradox that ai brings into global conflict right and um a lot of the time, um, you know, big governments, uh, military organizations use AI to simulate a conflict, right? With China, with Russia, with whatever. Um, and AI was actually used in the arms race to see, okay, who's gonna have, if, you know, if the Russians launch this missile, what are we gonna do? And AI computers were used to help simulate that that and these are war simulations these are all on a computer just to help military leaders know what to do now what happens if the ai model says let the russians obliterate um newcastle what would the uk government do now <laughs> right now no disrespect to newcastle you know um love their football uh, team and everything it's a great city but would the UK government allow that? Probably not, right? <clears throat> but it, AI, for us to win the war against any uh, state that wants to attack us, we may have to make a sacrifice like that. And that's what the AI um, model will, 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 will tell our leaders. So AI can be pretty dangerous if it's in the wrong hands and if it's used incorrectly. 
what if they get smart enough the ai i mean not not the uk government what what if the ai gets smart enough to give us that as the option even if it wasn't the best one because maybe they don't like newcastle's football team and they think (laughs) you know what we'll just we'll just get rid we'll just tell all these military leaders to bomb newcastle the world will be a better place hopefully and we get rid of them maybe that's that's the point point. the whole point is that ai um you're using different sort of I won't go into what what AI include, like neural networks and deep learning and all of that, and um, and GPT and, and and all of these things. But but what I what I could say is that with AI, it may have consequences, as you rightly said, in order to it it, it will tell you the 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 root of least resistance. AI does not have morality or ethics or emotion. AI is used as a tool to get from A to B, to have an output based on an input. And the input is let's win the war. So AI may come back with, let them bomb Newcastle first so you can obliterate them, right? And that is an unfortunate, scary um, consequence of letting AI get out of control. Now, these are all very philanthropic, interesting uh, discussion points, but, and we're kind of going off on a tangent slightly, but what AI does do um, is that it has the ability to, you know, for what we do as fluid, we all need teams and teams and teams of analysts uh, and lots and lots of computers to do effectively what one model does, right? It's very innovative. Um, if a, a typical investment bank or a hedge fund will probably have to have seven or eight uh, quants, you know, working 24 hours a day to crunch numbers, work with computers and algorithms and all of that <clears throat> to try to get what we do with one model. And that's the powerful thing about what Fluid is building. So it replaces, you know, a lot of unnecessary, uh, you know, and these these guys aren't cheap. They, they earn a lot of money uh, and they don't always get it right. They're humans. And so what we, for what we do, um, AI is super important because it solves a very, very big basic problem in crypto. Now we're not going to rule the world or bomb Newcastle with, um, with, <laughs> with that, but um, from what we do is that I think it has a very, very interesting um, and important benefit to the crypto community. What I'd like to discuss a little bit, if that's okay, is the idea of trusting AI to do this. And do you have an element of lines that it's not allowed to cross as a way of keeping it focused and keeping it narrow enough that it's just a very, very good calculator instead of it suddenly start throwing out ideas that make no sense whatsoever and they start making more mistakes because they've got too much, I don't know, flexibility or free reign, you could say. How do you balance that with someone's ability to trust it? Because it might not be necessarily trusting you, 
it's trusting AI to do the things that humans have been doing for so long. Like, how do you balance those two things? Because I'm picturing a world where AI could do so much as long as it's only given so much to do. Um, yeah, so very good question. But I'd say this. It comes, I mean, let's not sensationalize AI um, to the point that we mix up these paradoxical, esoteric, philanthropic discussion points with the benefits of AI. Let's not confuse the two. Um, our AI is we use a hybrid model that uses all sort of aspects of machine learning and deep learning. Um, so it uses things like neural networks, uh, vector analysis. Um, um, it uses, uh, you know, different hybrid models combined together. So what's called LTSM, long, oh, sorry, LSTM, long short-term memory, um, and uh, an aspect of mathematical um, um, uh, data analysis called Gaussian, uh, Gaussian analysis, which is a sort of statistical method, uh, which improves our accuracy. And all of these different concepts uh, are put together in one single model, right, to predict the accuracy of a market. Now, um, the model that we have is only as good as the data that it has access to. So we don't just have, we have access to historic data, but it, what we have access to are different features. Now, the beauty of AI is that you can have different features. Now, it's not, when I say nonlinear, what does that mean? It's not one input, one output. It's not like the price, uh, the candlestick is green, then it's going to go up, right? It takes in different environmental factors. Now, that's a, this is what we do for the AI, is that we expose our model to different features. So um, the price of gold, the price of equities, uh, the price of, uh, you know, uh, Twitter hashtags, certain, you know, people on Twitter, Elon Musk, you know, doge to the moon, right? That will have an ask, that'll have a, uh, what's, what's Elon Musk saying doge to the moon going to have an impact on Bitcoin, right? We can't really quantify it. We can try to make our own statistics, but this is what AI does. It just computes things and trains itself to better, to find better, more complex patterns in data that it can actually give you a real output and all forms of data. So not just what the historic price was, which is what I mean by linear, but also sentiment, human sentiment. It can gauge human sentiment and say, you know what, from all these different factors, we're, we're quite bearish. And I think the price is going to go down. This is what me in, uh, verbalizing what our AI model will actually do, or actually does. Um, and it will look at, you know, what happens to the price of gold, futures, options, all of these things we know have an impact on crypto or crypto prices, but we don't know how much. Now, there are other, uh, other bigger factors as well, um, you know, 
which have a more long-term effect on crypto. And we're not there yet in terms of trying to predict those, because if we did, um, I wouldn't need to be on a podcast with you. I'd be lying on a beach somewhere. <laughs> Probably not Newcastle because that would be bombed. Right? Probably, yeah, it would. It would uh, if it listened to our conversation, Newcastle would not be around for much longer. No, and I don't know what we have against Newcastle. I, I, I love the place, but yeah. <laughs> so it, have you put the model against the previous, let's say... We backtested you know, the model. Yeah, so if let's say if you were to run it I could take like a time chunk of before Bitcoin plummeted to the floor and beyond. Would that have predicted the same thing? Like if you ran it against past histories, they think, oh, that would have happened and it predicted it, right? So training our model requires us to backtest it several times to find these patterns. So what the model does is that it goes back to historic data sees patterns and you and learns those patterns sees more and then right takes that new model so it's like an, a loop and this is what ai does it's a loop that gets better with time because it gets more, more better and better trained and it looks at all these different factors um it's nothing it's weird we're all talking about how amazing ai but actually it's very very simple it just requires a lot of algorithms and a lot of computing power um now so yeah to answer your question we have to back test our data now remember that our models only look at look as far as 30 seconds in advance with a high degree of accuracy anything longer than that um we need a lot more uh funding and research to do Right, so the the most accurate that you can get is about 30 seconds in advance. How far does it drop, if you don't mind me asking? Like if it goes from 95% in 30 seconds, does it go to like 60 after that? Like how Yeah, I mean, it, it becomes very unreliable. So it this when, when I say 95%, this is with a high degree of confidence. It means it's consistently getting 95%. Now, the problem is, is that as you go down, as you go further along, there are many other complex factors and you probably need to train your model um, uh, a lot more to get uh, better pricing prediction. Um, and this is like an exponential cost for us. Right. Um, so for what we want to do, we don't want to go out that far. We don't need to go out that far. Um, 30 seconds example. And what we do is that we use that data. You know, we we effectively you can use that data to do. We don't trade on it we we're not built to become a trading house um we don't have the people or the, the skill set or the bandwidth um to build trading algorithms which are very different but what we do are prediction algorithms so you could probably take our data do what you want with it you know spend a day or two try to create your own trading signals and and your own algos you know and and make money that way um but that's what we do how much computing power does it take? I'm picturing like the old supercomputers, you know, like the walking computers where you've got like just stacks and stacks of gigantic hard drives that are all powering this computer. How much does it actually take to run an AI model that essentially analyzes financial markets and tracks it with social history and things of that nature? Like how much does it actually take to do it? The answer is a lot. Okay, but uh, <laughs> we don't, uh, you know, remember that this is 2023 now. 
We don't have hard drives uh, sitting in big offices with big windmills and um, <laughs> cooling them off, right? Um, we use uh, we use uh, um, we use the cloud services, uh, very big ones that are able to provide us this, uh, you know, computing power. A lot of these cloud services, such as you know, Microsoft, you've got one. AWS is one. Um, you use uh, there's a few others as well that use you know military grade. Uh, computing power, if you like, so huge amounts of computing power to do that, uh, and yeah, it, it does use a lot. Uh, our our monthly bill is very high, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. but uh, but but yeah, that's that's effectively what we do. How do you see this impacting the future? Because there's a lot of history with things like crypto, where it is volatile, it's difficult to predict, it's causing some people to not really get involved because of all the fees and they walk away with very little. You seem to be able to essentially flip all of that on its head to make it more predictable, safer, less risky, more people to be getting involved. But it's still a financial market. There'll be a lot more financial investment, a lot more money in the system. They're the kinds of things that I'm predicting just off the top of my head. How do you see this playing out? Where do you see it going? So what we're solving is one tiny aspect, right? But, you know, I talk about this a lot um, in media interviews uh, and, you know, uh, generally. Um, I'm a big proponent of regulation. Um, and regulation needs to happen in our crypto sector it's a very nascent sector it's very new but we have unfortunately had many bad actors and regulation should be there to protect all stakeholders so the problem <clears throat> that regulators have always had is that they've put out some regulation it has been completely out of touch with reality um, and at the same time, businesses that have tried to, uh, or projects that have tried to get regulated, um, have completely ignored the rules and probably, you know, arbitraged them, found loopholes, and not sort of come in with the same spirit of the law where you're trying to protect your user base. Um, and then you get, you know, guys like, uh, SBF, who is a fraud, who came up through the system and, you know, through smoke and mirrors, uh, stole users' money. Now, you know, the technology that we're in, which is cryptocurrency, uh, an on-chain technology, which is immutable and a public ledger, has the ability to self-regulate a lot of this. However, and however, you know, DAOs, which are decentralized uh, autonomous organizations, which control a lot of these projects, um, are never self-regulated, really. There's always a guy or two or three behind them. Um, and this is what regulatory authorities, uh, who are quite rightly alarmed at what's going on or what's happened, right, whether it be Luna, or, uh, or, or FTX, um, they are there and they're alarmed, but what their approach is 
is is terrible because their approach you know is to shut down um signature bank or silvergate right the only they're trying to choke the system um mm. rather than regulate and and work with projects uh, i find most regulators especially in the western world um backwards right and and behind the times the us right now it's it's killing it's trying to choke the, the crypto sector um but you look at you know i say that but you look at other um more forward-looking uh uh projects so i'm based in the uae I'm, I'm in the uk today but talking to you but i'm based in the uae and the uae um is fantastic about this uh they've created not one but two world-class regulatory regimes um, that have put in place a set of exacting rules, regulations to help regulate crypto businesses. So, um, you know, Fluid is my sort of second startup, which is doing very well. But my first one, which is doing even better, is um, it's a unicorn. It's it's called it's called Haven. It's a fully regulated um, OTC and custody platform uh, regulated in Abu Dhabi, right? It's, you know, it churns out millions of dollars, you know, um, um, every month, and it does phenomenally well. But it does that because it has been able to garner the trust of its user base. Now, I, our user base at Haven include, you know, UAE government entities government entities use us to do that now because we're regulated because they trust us which means that the business is audited right there is proper compliance there's proper cybersecurity there's proper uh, controls checks and balances in place that enable um the business to function and function well but protecting all stakeholders um so the UAE it's very forward-looking when it comes to this. Um, the UAE also recently um, announced the the launch of a central bank digital currency, a CBDC, and it's probably one of the first in the world to do so. That's actually, you know, signed off, stamped by the UAE central bank. Now, if we look at the UK, right, we're about ten years behind all of this. You know, uh, you can argue that the conservative government that's in place right now is a little bit more crypto friendly than before, but we're still worrying about Partygate and Boris Johnson. Um, you know, I can go on and, and, and tell you how I really feel and Brexit and all of this <laughs> nonsense, right? We haven't really given a toss about um, about crypto and we're behind the rest of the world. You know, and the U.S. is sort of uh, with with a, with a Biden administration is trying to choke off crypto. So, uh, you know, there's, there's another there's a discussion point here, which is to say that, you know, the world is is changing um, and um, regulation uh, by countries that have been very forward looking and very progressive is going to change the shift in power in in global currency. Does it make you think that that's where the backward side comes from, where it's almost like 
it used to be decentralized, but do you think that maybe it's tilting towards centralization for the sake of regulation? Like, it's the only way that some countries have thought of being able to regulate it is to centralize it. Like, there isn't a decentralized right. so way to regulate let me, it. Let me say something. Um, I think it's a complete pipe dream and it's absolute bollocks that we say, uh, and sorry if I'm able to use curse words in your, in your program, but. Um, it's absolute bullshit and bollocks that DeFi is fully autonomous and there will be no centralization. It's, it's utopia. It's people who, you know, take drugs and, and whatever. It's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. What is going to happen, I believe is yes. DeFi has great uh, technological efficiency uh, aspects to it. Um, and it enables the lend like, I don't think any DeFi platform will ever borrow and lend to and have mass adoption um, and really take away the power away from banks. I don't think that's ever going to happen. And I think anyone who says that is probably a scammer or just, you know, living on another planet, right? And has no idea what's going on. Um, I do think, however, big banks, big insurance companies will adopt a lot of blockchain technology are surrounding DeFi to create what I call hi-fi, hybrid finance, where you're able to leverage all the benefits, all the pros and cons, uh, all the pros, all the benefits of decentralized finance, right? Um, and effectively, you know, why would banks need big offices? They don't anymore with DeFi. They don't need overly paid, expensive bankers on massive salaries and big bonuses because they can do it themselves through technology. You know, the MacBook, a MacBook, single MacBook can replace a whole floor in a bank, right? And just imagine the millions that banks waste on um, inefficient, entitled bankers who are overpaid. And I was once one with, you know, I was I was in banking for 15 years. So um, I know what it's like. Uh, so I do believe that banks now banks, the problem with DeFi as well, from an institutional perspective, is that while DeFi, while you can police the ports, you can't police the oceans. Meaning that for AML, anti-money laundering terrorist financing, all the bad actors, um, they can use DeFi, swap their money and effectively run riot on the global system. Now, no government or bank in their right mind would ever allow that. So with banks adopting these controls in place, they keep these bad actors out of the system. So they, they own the DAOs, right? They control the DAOs, they regulate the DAOs. Uh, but the DAOs still exist. People can still use DeFi, um, but within a banking system. And I think that's what's going to happen. Um, I don't think we're ever going to be in a position where, you know, um, it, it, it's too much of a cowboy world for, for any like real utopian, fully decentralized world to exist. I think anyone who says that is like smoking something funny. Do you think then that it's about having 
a system that is almost like pro-freedom, I guess you could say. And most people don't want to say freedom, but they are pro-people, the, the users, the people using the A libertarian system. organization, right? So this is a very libertarian, utopian um, uh, vision, a vision that I would love, right? My money's my own, not your keys, not your crypto. Ultimately, yeah, right? Um, crypto allows that. What crypto, and will it happen? I mean, I don't know. It's way above my pay grade to answer that question. I don't know. But I do believe that we have a very interesting tool in the room that can be a force for giving people more autonomy and banking the unbanked. And who stands to benefit? Everyone. When you're able to include more people in the financial system and still police it in the same way, everyone benefits. When you have a very, when you have a banking system and a financial system that's very limited, you know, you take away a lot of the, you put in unnecessary limits and you take away a lot of the capabilities of what you can achieve. So it's a very, you know, wide question and I don't really know how to answer it because um i'm not paid enough money to do so yeah, <laughs> yeah it but. is it, it's something that i don't think any individual can really solve and as you said the people that promote all of this they tend to get a bit um i guess ideology based like they like the idea they like the yeah. fact that oh, it'd be cool if everyone had full control and full autonomy of everything but as you quite rightly said it sounds a bit more like the wild wild west where people have money and digital mattresses <clears throat> and nothing's regulated and there's no sense of rules or principles that you would stand by or live by and it sounds like if it went that way you would just allow people to do whatever they wanted and I just wonder if that would actually be a step back, as you said, yeah. you know, we're so, kind of going backwards with the whole thing. The word, Michael, is anarchic libertarianism. That's right? a mouthful. It is a mouthful, <laughs> but you create anarchists uh, and anarchy and chaos. Uh, and you think that you can, yeah, uh, as I said, I'm not paid enough money. <laughs> Nowhere near <laughs> as rich to answer that question. Um, yeah. That's more of a question for... Uh, people who can really move the needle, uh, like Elon Musk, to to answer, not me. Well, it sounds like we are on a bit of a, I don't want to say a knife edge, but I think there's a lot of important decisions that are needing to be made. And as you quite rightly said, the, the people that are in these positions, I think they're going to have to answer them sooner or later, before things get a bit too out of hand. You never know. But I do wonder mm. if it would be nice to answer those questions or at least put a bit of a handle on on the situation before things get a bit out of control as you said if it gets out of control then i just wonder if ai would do things before we even thought about them and then it starts to get a bit um a bit crazy if that if that continues you know it's like if we don't have any handle at all on the situation it's not going to get better i i get harder completely um i completely agree so how can people find out about Fluid then, Ahmed? We've had a long discussion. I've really enjoyed it. Some people might need to have a lie down after this conversation, you know, <laughs> depending on how you know, how wired they are. Uh, but how can people learn more about you and Fluid and how can people get in touch? 
So the best way is to go to our website, which is uh, HTTPS, um, fluid.finance. And everything is there. All our social links are there. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. We have a very active uh, Telegram channel. Um, you know, we have thousands of people on our Telegram groups. We have you know, 20,000 or 30,000 now Twitter followers. I keep forgetting. So we're very active on socials. Um, but probably the best place is, is our website. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Those that are listening, feel free to subscribe, share the show, tell others, and also leave a review wherever you are listening in to your podcasts. Ahmed, thanks for joining me. I look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you. Thank you, Michael.